Hello again and welcome to a Life Well Lived podcast. I am your host, Andrew Jensen, and these are my grandfather sermons that I just want to share with the world. And without further introduction, here is Pastor John Jensen with the message. This one was done March 14th, 1982. On our Dial a Minute message ministry that we have where people can call in for a different message every day, I give the opportunity for people to leave, as you know, their name and any question. This past week when I was flipping through some of the answers, a person who obviously was elderly said, Oh, if only I could live my life again. I would do it so differently. I've made such a mess of my life. And then another exclamation, if only I could live it again. Today, we are giving consideration to the emphasis that we have here in this fourth chapter on the investment of our time. Paul was conscious about time. In chapter 3, he said that we are going to live in difficult times, violent times, demonic times. They're going to be difficult to cope with. And he writes to Timothy and he tells him that he must invest his life in the very best way possible. Here in this last chapter that he gave to us from his hand, he's conscious of the past, he's conscious of the present, he's conscious of the future. And in verse 7 he said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, as he looked backward. And then he looked around and he said, I feel like like a libation being poured out as a drink offering, and now I am ready to depart. Then he moves into the future. And in verse 8 he says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so thinking in terms of the past, thinking of the present context of life, and then looking into the future, Paul becomes very concerned for the kind of ministry that Timothy will has. And so he writes to this young man in the faith, and he says, Timothy, make the most of it. And here in this chapter, he tells him how to invest his time. There are a lot of things that we might extract out of this with great profit. I'd like to share three, giving more attention to the first two and then just mentioning the last in passing. The first thing that Paul tells Timothy in order to invest his life properly is that he would live to share the word of God. Timothy lived to share his word, preach the word. Lewis Berry Chafer, the founding president of Dallas Theological Seminary and the author of an eight-volume systematic theology set, used to say, keep giving people something to believe. Keep giving people something to believe. In chapter 3, in verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul points out that the word of God is that which makes one wise for salvation, for reconciliation, for forgiveness, for an eternal habitation with God in heaven. He also points out that this word makes us adequate. It fits us for every kind of circumstance so that we might do the work and the will of God. And therefore, Paul says, Timothy, use it. Invest your life so that the word of God is used well. Every time I pass uh, a farm or ranch, I frequently see what I think is a tremendous waste. It just reminds me of it when I see a piece of machinery that is just sitting out there rusting because it's not being used. I think of a waste of metal. 
waste of space, waste of time. But there's no greater tragedy than to see a person, a Christian, who has the word of God that fits people for eternity and that fits them for life circumstances here and who doesn't use it. And that's why the Apostle Paul becomes so strong as he writes this last letter out of the depths of his heart. He says, Timothy, I solemnly charge you in open view and in knowledge of God's presence. I charge you in open view and knowledge of Jesus Christ who is going to come again and who is going to appear and before whom we will appear and give account. I openly charge you in view of the fact that he is going to come to inaugurate the very kingdom that he preached about, to proclaim the word. Timothy, invest your time so that people have something to believe in. Share his word. Schaefer was right. Keep giving people something to believe in. Now, of course, this letter was written to Timothy as an individual, and he was to apply it. Of course, this has direct application to every pastor. But it also has direct application to every one of us who name the name of Christ. I think I can substantiate that by just anticipating one of the items that are found here in this last chapter, and that's the very last word of this book. And it's the pronoun you. That is plural and not singular. Grace be with all of you which indicates then that this letter was to have been read in all of the churches for the people of God so that they could take it and apply it to their own lives. And how we apply this, we can quickly find out by the answers that we would give to the questions, what did we give this past week to someone that was worthy of believing? Worthy of dying for? What did you share from this word this past week with someone? Do they know now how to become a committed Christian? Did you invest those 168 hours someplace to share this word that makes one wise to salvation and that equips them and fits them for life circumstances? Timothy Invest your time in order to live, to share his word. Now, Paul doesn't give some nice counsel and some warm advice. It is a solemn charge in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of his appearing and of the inauguration of his kingdom. Share the word, Timothy. Because he knew that it's so easy sometimes to make excuses instead of making opportunities. I ran across a statement in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes this past week that I thought was so significant here in view of the statement that Paul makes, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And in Ecclesiastes in chapter 11, we read, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. I thought if we would take that and apply it to Oregon, he who waits until it stops raining before he works (laughs) will not get any work done. (laughs) Be instant in season, out of season. When it's wet and when it's wetter, (laughs) at all times, every season, every opportunity, 
Be urgent. Be available. Be ready. Invest your time to share the word of God, to give to people something that they can live for and die for. Invest your time, Timothy. A young preacher once complained to Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher who preached, by the way, to more people than anyone ever has until Billy Graham surpassed him by using television. And a young man came to Spurgeon and said, in a complaining way, that he did not have a church large enough as he thought that he deserved. And so Spurgeon asked him the question. He says, well, how many do you preach to on a Sunday? He said, about a hundred. Very solemnly, Charles Spurgeon said, that will be enough to give account for on the day of judgment. Our families will be enough for which to give account on the day of judgment. Our friends will be enough to give account for on the day of judgment. The ministry that God wants us to participate in and the investment of our time will be enough for us to give account for on the day of judgment. Timothy, he writes here in the first, the fifth verse, fulfill your ministry. And the ministry that Timothy was to fulfill as a ministry for us to fulfill is to share his word. Give to people something to believe so that they know how to live, so that they will know how to die. Live to share his word. The second thing that I call out of these last uh, expressions that come from the heart of the apostle is Timothy lived to win his approval, the Lord's approval. And he develops that by giving his own personal example here in verses 6, 7, and 8. Paul was a man who took life very, very seriously, and he lived to win the approval of his Lord. Everyone likes to have the affirmation of approval. All of us do. You know, there's a certain exhilaration when you get the recognition of having earned a degree. There must be a fantastic exhilaration when you get the uh, Heitzman Trophy or a gold medal or some kind of um, recognition and who's who or what's what and all of those kind of things. And Paul knew that, but the thing that Paul was looking for was not something that would just pass away. What he was looking for was something that was eternal. And he wanted to hear the well done, good and faithful servant kinds of words from his Lord. And that's symbolically portrayed for us here in this expression in the eighth verse of being able to receive a crown of righteousness, which obviously is not a literal gleaming gold crown any more than the helmet of salvation is to be interpreted literally. But there is a literal reality behind it, and that is that there would be a well-approved kind of statement by his Lord. And one of the facets of that crown of righteousness is that it would be a righteousness that would be given to this man who was charged with unrighteousness. Facing the apostle, and the reason for his death at this time is because he was regarded as a criminal, a troublemaker, one who was trying to hurt society, And the Apostle Paul is simply saying, I am looking for the day when Nero's uh, verdict will be overturned. And God will say, Paul, here is a crown of righteousness. You lived uprightly for my sake. And I place this upon you so that you'll have a capacity to glorify me throughout eternity. 
Now, as we look at this, we see Paul looking into the future, and perhaps we can make some quick observations about the rewards that God wants us to receive. And I observe from this eighth verse the fact that most rewards are going to be given out in heaven and not on earth. One of the tragedies that many people have today is that they work for rewards here rather than there. The farmer doesn't get his rewards after he has sown for a while. He has to wait. And that's why Paul says, continue in well-doing because we shall reap if we faint not. Obviously, there's a present satisfaction when we are running the race, that we are giving all that we've got in order to get there, but the reward is never given until we break the tape. Most rewards are given out in heaven, not on earth. And the rewards that God promises will be given. The tremendous statement in Mark chapter 9, when the Lord Jesus uh, told the disciples, he said, whosoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. The rewards that God promises for faithful doing will be given. And the third thing that I should just call to our attention is this, that rewards are based upon what we do with our present activity, how we run, how we fight the good fight of faith, how we guard the word of God. And we don't have much time to do it. The race doesn't last very long. The extent of the fight is not very long. Life is so fragile. Many of you have really become aware of that recently. And I have too, as you have taught me. Some of you have gone through the excruciating pain of having your family circle broken by death in the last several months. Some of you have been very sensitive to it as you've had some very serious illnesses and surgeries. Some of you have young children and you're very much aware of the fact that our times are in the hands of the Lord. Betty and I were talking just the other day. In a small way, God has made us very much aware of the fact um, that life is so fragile, it's so short. In the last five months, our family has had five very serious automobile accidents. Um, my driveway looks like Jensen's junkyard and car rental agency. We have to try to keep up with it. Um, and God was so gracious just to remind us again that we are immortal until our work is done. And, uh, you know, I just credit God's grace that he's given me a few more moments to live. And how carefully we must invest those moments that God has given to us. Paul says here in this sixth verse, the time of my departure has come. And he's ready for it. That's a very interesting word. It's a word uh, that is a synonym really here for death. The time of my death has come. But he uses the word departure. It's a word that's used of, uh, of a ship or vessel in nautical terms that pulls up anchor so it might be loosed from its moorings and can go on its voyage. Uh, it's uh, used uh, in a prison situation of a person who uh, is able to depart from his chains. He is released from his chains. It is used of a, um, uh, a 
of a piece of material that has been woven on a loom with all of the pictures and the shadows and the bright spots, and now it's done, and it's taken away from the loom and now displayed. And that's what Paul says. I am ready for my departure. God has done his weaving. He has created his picture, and now I'm going to be hung, as it were, like a trophy of his grace. I am ready to depart to hear him say, well done, as he looks at that weaving of life. Boy, a tremendous kind of a statement. It just must have caused tears to come to Timothy as he thought about God's activities and providences in the life of this man. And now Jesus can look at the weaving and say, well done. To win his approval. Well done. Charles Swindoll has a very helpful and encouraging book entitled Improving Your Serve. It's uh, not merely for tennis buffs, it's for all of us. It's about a servant heart. And he concludes this um, book with a very moving illustration that he has taken from Charles Allen, who pastors a large church in Texas, who was the first to tell the story of a little boy by the name of John Todd, born in Rutland, Vermont. And in the uh, autumn of, of 1800, uh, shortly after the boy's birth, uh, this young boy, John Todd, moved to a little village of Killingsworth. And it was there when he was six that both of his parents died. And then all of the children belonging to that family were parceled out to other members of the family. And uh, John had a kind-hearted aunt who lived 10 miles away from this village and agreed to take John to love him, to care for him, and to give him a home. Well, he lived there for 15 years and then finally left in his early 20s and went to school to prepare for the ministry and then excelled and distinguished himself in the pastorate. And while he was in middle life, his aunt, who had raised him, fell desperately uh, ill. And realizing that death was not far off for her in distress and with many questions, moving questions, she wrote to her nephew. The letter had kind of a pitiful note to it. And, and so um, John addressed some of the questions that she had, like, what will death be like? Will it mean the end of everything? And there was kind of a quivering aspect within the, the letter. And so he wrote out of his compassion and memories of past years. Now, I want to read that letter. It's John writing to his aunt. It is now 35 years since I, a little boy of six, was left quite alone in the world. You sent me word that you would give me home and be a kind mother to me. I have never forgotten the day when I made the long journey of 10 miles to your house in North Killingsworth. I can still recall my disappointment when instead of coming for me yourself, you sent your colored man, Caesar, to fetch me. I well remember my tears and my anxieties as, perched high on your horse and clinging tight to Caesar, I rode off to my new home. Night fell before we finished the journey. And as it grew dark, I became lonely and afraid. Do you think she'll go to bed before I get there? I asked Caesar anxiously. Oh, no, he said reassuringly. She'll sure stay up for you. When we get out of these here woods, you'll see her candle shining in the window. Presently, we did ride out in the clearing, and there, sure enough, was your candle. I remember you were waiting at the door and that you put your arms close about me and that you lifted me, a tired and bewildered little boy, down from the horse. You had a big fire burning on the hearth, a hot supper waiting for me on the stove, 
and after supper you took me to my new room, you heard me say my prayers, and then you sat beside me until I fell asleep. You probably realize why I am recalling all this to your memory. Someday soon, God will send for you to take you to a new home. Don't fear the summons, the strange journey, or the dark messenger of death. God can be trusted to do as much for you as you were kind enough to do for me so many years ago. At the end of the road, you will find love and a welcome waiting, and you will be safe in God's care. I shall watch you and pray for you until you are out of sight, and then wait for the day when I shall make the journey myself and find you waiting at the end of the road to greet me. Oh, isn't that a beautiful, moving letter? It's a true story, and it's the hope of everyone who loves his appearing and who wants to win his approval. And I like that one sentence so much. God can be trusted to do as much for you as you were kind enough to do for me. And I'd like to add, and abundantly so, because his grace is greater than all that we have. When, he, he says, his approval, invest your time so that that will be there. And then the third thing that I should like to call out of this uh, chapter is, is to live to help his cause. What I mean is live to help his people. Live to help his church. Live to help his kingdom prosper and his purposes to be implemented. There are needs to be met. There are obstacles to be hurdled. There are problems that need to be solved. But my friend, in every problem, in every situation here that is difficult, there is a cup of cold water to serve to somebody. Live in order to serve those cups of cold water. Now look at some of those cups of cold water. For instance, reflected here in the ninth verse, make every effort to come to me soon. It's a cup of cold water to encourage somebody who is hurting. And here is Paul writing to Timothy, telling them in this kind of, of, of a reflection that we read into this, of just coming to help to encourage. Well, here in verse 11, he says, pick up Mark on the way. Somehow make it possible for him to come and bring him with you. I need him too. Timothy, go out of your way in order to minister in that way. Help me. And then here in verse 13, he says, by the way, when you come, would you mind going out of your way and going through Troas and go up to the apartment there of Carpus and, and bring me a cloak, just some clothing. It's cold here. Just bring me a cloak. Boy, it's a cup of cold water to give some clothing to somebody, some shoes to somebody who doesn't have any in the name of Christ. Bring the books. He said, I want to use the last weeks that I have in order to study and to fill up my mind with the great truths of life and of Jesus Christ, and especially the parchments, probably the Greek translations of the Old Testament with all the notes that Paul probably had there that he couldn't take when he was extradited from Troas and taken over to Rome as a criminal. But he said, bring them, would you? It's a cup of cold water. That was inconvenient. But do it. All kinds of problems to help meet. All kinds of needs and hurts to heal. Live, Timothy, in such a way that you will help his cause, his people, his church, his kingdom. Oh, I like this 18th verse. Where he mentions about Alexander, who had evidently given a lot of false reports and was probably the, um, the human instrument uh, who did the lying and uh, 
who reported Paul and um, um, was responsible for Paul's being sent at this particular point and place to Rome. But he said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed uh, and will bring me safely in his heavenly kingdom. God's work will succeed. It is not vain to invest your time to help God's cause in people and church. It is better to fail in a work that will ultimately succeed than to succeed in a work that will ultimately fail. Don't be successful, Timothy, in what doesn't count. Be successful in what does. A while back, I heard uh, Howard Hendricks bring a message, and in it he made the statement that ultimately there will be three questions that will be asked of us when we meet our Lord. And those three questions are, has the word been well used? Has the work been well done? Is the Lord well pleased? That lady who called on that dial a minute message, unfortunately, didn't leave her name. I wish she had, because I would have called her right back. Because when I heard that lament, she wanted to live life over again. I wanted to tell her that she can begin anew now. God's a God of grace. And we can't go backward, but my dear friends, we can go forward. And we can take the time that God gives to us now and we can invest it. We can invest it in that which will give him glory. We can give people something worthy to believe. We can do that which will give help to his cause. This week we have 168 hours before us. And in these 168 hours, we need to invest our time so that we share his word, giving people something worthy to believe that will help them to know how to live and how to die. In these 168 hours, we can do something in order to win his approval. And we need to do it in order that we might live to help his cause. Let me just stop by making a suggestion as to how you might put feet into this message that comes from the Spirit of God through the heart of Paul to Timothy. Can I challenge you to do this? This week. This week. When you go to bed at night, ask yourself those three questions. Did I use the word well today? Was the work that God assigned me today well done? Is the Lord well pleased? And if the answer to those are positive, thank him for his grace. If they are negative, needing improvement, ask for his grace in order to help you do it. You can't do it on your own. And that's why it says here in verse 22, may the Lord be with your spirit, may his presence encourage you, and may his grace be with you. And it is. 
when the word is well used and his work is well done and when the Lord is well pleased. Oh, our Father, deliver us, we pray, from being content to be successful in what doesn't count at all in the light of eternity. Lord, help us individually and as a body to give the word of the gospel to those 70% of this population in this community who don't even attend a church or a synagogue or any kind of religious meeting. And Lord, when we minister to the other 30% and find Christians out there struggling, hurting, Lord, help us to know how to use the word well with them too. Lord, we want to win your approval. It matters not what men say, but oh dear Lord, it matters what you say. We want to have that crown that declares us to have been good, upright people in a crooked generation. And dear Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be helpers, servants along the way to minister. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Well, another sermon preached from the famous Don Jensen. Well, we all have lost somebody. I lost my dad in 2019, three years ago today. Cancer. I wish every day that it was just a dream. And I always ask God why it took my dad. But I'll never know. God has his reasons. Life is short. We all need to tell everybody about the love of Jesus. Because we just don't know how long we're going to be on this earth. So get out there and invite that person to church. Tell people about God and how much that he loves them. Well, that's all the time I have for today. Till next time, see ya.